morning. Come on. Thank you guys for enduring the rain to be here to worship together. And uh, yeah, I just um, endured the rain and drove south this morning. And I have a cool picture to welcome myself to the South Florida area. Did you, Lisa, did you? Yeah, this is this morning. Do you guys see that in the background? No, in the, the background behind me, the blue lights. Does anybody see the blue lights? That was at about 7.20 this morning. Oh, but the Lord was up to something. But the Lord, all right? So I'm driving, I'm cruising. Has anybody driven north on like 75 on the turnpike? And you've got that gap between, um, I guess it's between like Coral Gables and Orlando where there's nothing. And it's almost like God saying, enjoy the speed of the vehicle, right? It's like you feel the liberty to just go. And I'm just cruising, worship music's going, I'm praying, I'm in the spirit. And all of a sudden I come and boom, trooper right there. So I'm, guys, I'm going really too fast. <laughs> so I'm just like, I just, I'm like, I'm done. So I, I, I just slow down and um, he pulls in behind me and I just, there's a rest area, one of those, you know, things. So I pull all over there, the guy pulls in behind me. And I'm like, he comes into the window. I'm done. I have my driver's license out. I'm like, you know, my savings is emptied. You know, I may be going to jail. Who knows what's going to happen? I blow up my driver's license. He walks into the window and he's like, uh, sir, um, did you know you were speeding? I was like, yes, sir. And he's like, do you know how fast you were going? And he told me, I don't want to say it publicly online. And uh, he's like, uh, where are you in a hurry to go? And I was like, I'm, I said, I'm, uh, I'm preaching at a church this morning. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed. Down in, uh, down in South Florida. And uh, he's like, really? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, where are you coming from? He said, Gainesville. And he's like, what church? He said, Greenhouse Church. And, and uh, I said, Greenhouse Church. He's like, all right, hand me your driver's license. I hand your driver's license. He walks to the car. I text Don Lash. I'm like, John, start praying now. I need the favor of God like never before. You know, no one else is up. I can know I'm texting. So I wait. He comes back and he has a sheet of paper in his hand. I'm like, oh, man, I got a ticket. And he's like, He's like, you know, a lot of people give me a lot of excuses of why they're speeding. He's like, so I Googled you. And uh, <laughs> he's like, you go by Robbie, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I went to the Greenhouse Church website <laughs> in Gainesville. And um, he goes, but a lot of excuses. Rarely do I see someone speeding to do the Lord's work. And I was like, I was like, let's go. I turned up my worship music a little louder, looked at him. And uh, he handed me a warning and he says, hey, there's a lot of rain on the, in front of you. Drive safe. I was like, I, I had the best two hours after that. I'm just worshiping, going 75 miles an hour down the interstate, man. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad to be here. Save me $300 in jail time. I don't know. But, you know, it's funny because I saw five and I, I've driven this quite a few times on a Sunday morning over the past seven years, being a part of this faith, this community here, and never seen, rarely ever seen one officer, much less I saw five right after that. So I was like, Lord, thank you that a believing officer um, pulled me over. And I, I, you know, it just made me think there's so many times we think um, there's a major roadblock and the God's actually protecting you in some capacity, slowing you down maybe spend more time with you to maybe protect you. He's always up to something. 
Um, if we haven't met, I'm Robbie, I'm one of the pastors in Greenhouse Movement. I've uh, been a part of Greenhouse for about 20 years now, youth pastor for 10 years. John and Nancy were youth leaders with us back in the day and a phenomenal time in Gainesville. I've been in Gainesville for like 20 years, got a beautiful wife, Amanda, amazing daughter, Anna, and then a 14-year-old son, Matthew, and I love Jesus a lot. Excited to preach this morning and share for a little bit. If you got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. If you can turn it on your, your phone or the scriptures will be up there on the screen. We're in this series called The Great Awakening, and I've loved it, preaching through the book of Acts. Love being a part of what's happening around this state as we're preaching through this passage. I've got a few statistics for us this morning because um, when you're asking why a great awakening, why, why the book of Acts, what are we doing as a church and a family? There is a urgency to a great awakening globally in general, but also locally in our nation and specifically, I would say, the, the global north. Check out some of these stats where things are trending, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a place of a little bit of sobriety this morning to why this series is so important. Um, in the American church, this is the Pew Research Center that just came out with these stats in 2021. Atheists, agnostic, and of no particular faith rose to 29% from 2011 to 2021, in 10 years, up 10 points from 2011. Between the ages of 18 and 29, the self-designation marks 39% of 18 to 29-year-olds would say they're atheists, agnostic, of no particular faith. In other words, nuns of, of some kind. Um, the number of professing Christians, this is in America, this is just the American church in general, dropped from, and this is just professing Christians, this is not even maybe like actual Christians, this is just professing Christians, um, dropped from 75% to 63%. You go to another stats right here on, I think these next ones are on the global church maybe. Worldwide, the number who embrace the Christian faith continues to rise. In other words, globally, Christianity is moving, just American church is actually declining. The growth of charismatics, is what's beautiful, is particularly dramatic from less than 1 million self-identifying as Pentecostals of, or charismatic in 1900 to a projected 1 billion in 2050. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> Thank God for Pentecost. The reason we're pre preaching a great awakening in the book of Acts is it's not just describing what happened the book of Acts is not just describing what happened 2,000 years ago. It's a prescription, prescribing, if you embrace these principles, what can happen in 2022 and beyond. So you see in the in 1900s, right around the Zuzu Street, there's a great awakening of the charismatic movement where the church of Jesus Christ embraced the promise from above. They get endued with power, and then you see this move of God that sweeps the nations. Anchoring the worldwide growth of Christianity is the global south, actually, particularly Africa with 2.77% growth and Asia at 1.5% growth. The reason I brought these statistics to you guys, I think that's all the statistics I had, right? Is that right? Yes. Um, is because I wanted to recognize when we're talking about a great, great awakening, some of us get into our little sphere of influence in our family in our like work, in our school, in our world, we have a, a, a tendency toward narcissism in our culture. It's very much about us. A great awakening is 
being preached throughout Greenhouse, specifically here in South Florida, is because there needs to be an expansion of God's kingdom throughout the world. We're praying that God's grace and the, the flourishing that he's promised humanity would move throughout our country, our city, our home, our workplace. Um, I, I love sports. I love watching sports, and um, I love live sports. And I don't know if you've ever been in this moment, and this will probably happen tonight. Nah, not as much in the NFL, but it definitely happens in college, where you're watching a play on TV, and you see the quarterback, and this is if you guys don't know football, is the quarterback is the one who gets the snap, throws the ball. You see um, the quarterback make a pass, and the defender intercepts the pass and runs it back. They score. You're mad because that's your team that's on offense. You're like, you're, you get mad at the quarterback. You're like, why'd you make that throw? And then you, then you pause for a second, and you're like, I, I, that stupid coach, why is that guy playing quarterback, right? And then you're like, who hired that coach? Who's the, and, and then college sports, like, who's the athletic director? And you're like, this is the third coach this athletic director's hired that is bad. Fire that athletic director. And you're like, wait a second, who hires the athletic director? That board of trustees over the University of Florida, getting rid of them all, right? So you, you go through this process because you see bad plays. And then the analyst comes back after the commercial, and he says, after looking at this play, we noticed the receiver ran the wrong route. And you realize it was actually a good pass. It was actually a smart call to have that quarterback in. It was a smart coaching decision by this all the way through. The problem is, is they're running the wrong play. So when you're thinking about the problems of the pandemic of the church of Jesus Christ throughout this nation and the, na not the I'd say the global north, maybe it's not the, um, the board of trustees or some level of leadership. Maybe it goes down to our role of running the right plays. The book of Acts is this beautiful playbook. It's a beautiful playbook. Now, listen, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Even during the fast, I was chewing on this passage in John 10, 10, where it talks about uh, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. So I'm like, Lord, I want life and life to the fullest. I want life and life to the fullest for you and everyone I interact with. The vision is that somehow, now listen, there's going to be trials. I was texting with a buddy from He's up in Pennsylvania this morning. I, I mean, not really. I was driving, but he texted me and I was voice texting. Speeding and texting. God, I am so sorry. We, we need a great awakening. We need a great awakening. And he's like, life, life is hard. I'm not saying there's not going to be trials or temptations or there's struggles, but in some capacity, God has prescribed for us in the book of Acts the capacity to live life to the fullest, to have a whirlwind going around you, but somehow or another have a peace that passes understanding. And that's where we pick this up in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And this, my friends, is like, beautiful. We're, it just coincides with like the microchurch and everything. This is, 
This is the passage where it talks about the beautiful community that developed once the outpouring of the Spirit came. So you've been following this series here. You've been seeing like, man, they were empowered by the Spirit. They had diversity was happening. There was prophecies. There was tongues. There was a beautiful work of God. I mean, in powerful ways. People were speaking other languages. People were hearing their language. Crazy things were happening. Signs, wonders, miracles. And then it's kind of culminating in the chapter two here where it's like, so with all that happening, this is the soup. This is the melting pot. This is kind of what came of it. So once you stand with me, we're going to read a few passages and then we're going to talk about this passage of scripture. Acts chapter two. Now again, Acts chapter two is Peter. All this crazy stuff's happening. They've been waiting for the spirit to come down. The spirit comes down. People are getting filled with God's presence or speaking other language, signs, wonders, and people are like, what is happening? So Peter, being the leader and the preacher he is, stood up and says, hey guys, they're not drunk because it's nine in the morning. Literally, that's what he had to say because it was such a powerful move of God's presence. And he said, they're not drunk as some of you suppose. Actually, this is what was prophesied years ago. They are full of God. They're not full of an alcohol that they're intoxicated. They are full of God and they are no longer self-conscious about what you think of them. It is a move of God. And then Peter preaches one of the first sermons ever, like first sermons. And he said this in verse 38. Peter replied, and because he preached a sermon and people say, okay, cool. This is great. This is real. God is real. What must we do like to be saved? How can we partake of like this kingdom? And he says, all right, here you go. Repent. <laughs> And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when, you, when you're around here at Greenhouse, and maybe you're brand new online, or you're here, and you're checking things out, when we, like at moments of close of messages, or someone's asking, what must we do? I remember 20, you know, four, three years ago in a library, I was like, hey, what do I do? I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. I said, what do I do? And the girl was like, huh? I was like, you shared the gospel with me. I didn't say it like this. But I was like, what must I do? And she's like, just repent. Turn your life over to God. Repent is this turning away and be baptized in water, every one of you, and then you receive the Spirit. So verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Then in verse 40, with many other words, so after he said, this is what you do, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Boom. Then it gets beautiful right here. This is the soup, man. You got the recipe. You throw all the ingredients in here. Here's what happens. This is microchurch beauty right here, man. This is the descriptor. They, the community of believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Look at this community, man. This is like this is it, man. This is real. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. There it is again, those who are being saved. Lord, thank you for 
the book of Acts. Thank you for the whole Bible, but thank you for this book. Would it mark us, especially these passages, that we'd have, we'd build and be a part of some of the greatest community this world has ever known in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. What the Great Awakening will do is it will create and require a great community. A Great Awakening will move people together in intimacy and relationship. I mean, relationships are hard, right? Aren't they hard? I mean, you look all the way back to the garden. You got Adam and Eve, like they're struggling. And then you got Cain and Abel. You guys remember Cain and Abel? Yeah, Cain kills his brother. And then the Lord says, where's your brother? And he's like, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at. Like, <laughs> you're God, you know? Like, all the way back in the very beginning in Genesis, <laughs> there's, there's relationship issues. So if you're struggling in relationships, we get it. It's hard with parents, with grandparents, with siblings, with coworkers. That is the dynamic. But you see here this beautiful community together. And what was Peter's? I'm telling you guys, this was so shocking to me when I read this passage. Because I'm like, I'm the guy when someone repents and they say, I just, I'm so sorry to God. I want to be forgiven and know God. That You pray this prayer of like repentance. They get baptized. I'm like, woohoo! I'm like the celebration guy, right? I'm like, let's go. Peter's response was a little bit different. He's like, oh, good, 3,000 of you. Now I warn you. Right? I mean, look at it. He didn't like getting this like, hey, party. Like, I'm the, I'm the guy who's like, man, when, you know, 99 people, but when one returns, all of heaven throws a party. So I think heaven's throwing a party. But Peter will get a little bit real, real. And he said, listen, save yourself from this corrupt generation. There's a tension in the kingdom of heaven's rejoicing, but there's a responsibility on our side of like, what, what does that even look like in this moment? What is Peter saying to them culturally for them? And what does that mean for us? His pep talk after coming out of the water, you're wet, your family's rejoicing, they're taking pictures, you're getting selfies, you're posting over, you're snapping everyone. And then Peter's like, hey, get this on the video. Be careful. <laughs> That's a little change of the story a little bit, right? I mean, look at it in Philippians, because Paul said the same thing in verse 2, chapter 2. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Check this out. In a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ, I did not run or labor for nothing. Very fascinating that Peter used this moment to say, save yourself. And I have to ask the question, all right? Because there's multiple generations in here, which is really beautiful. There's, there's older, wiser generations, and there's very younger. What would you say is the perversity of your generation? What's the corruption of your generation? I mean, I don't have the answer because I feel like it's different for everyone. I know in general, I think part of the corruption of the generations of America is greed, is a discontentment. It's not a satisfaction. It's always this desire for more, many times at the expense of others. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel because Abel had something different than Cain and Cain killed him over it. What is the corruption of your generation? Gen Z, Gen X, 
forgotten generation, boomers. I don't even know all the names of all the generation. What's the corruption of your generation? It's very fascinating because I think in general, well, listen, I'm not the bunker mentality guy, which is like get all of the Christians, go hide them in this area, keep them from culture, right, and have your own culture. Somehow or another, we got to have this. It's not binary in the sense of like no culture or all of culture. I was reading this week about the metaverse. Have you guys heard, you know, the, the whole metaverse world, right? So this is a picture of a pastor that's actually created meta church, right? This is him speaking. These are, and I don't even know exactly how this works. This is um, people, I guess with Oculus glasses, that are now attending church in the metaverse, right? Have you anyone ever done this work? Don't raise your head. But <laughs> very fascinating world where you have this, Online persona, you go to church. So theologically in mission circles, there's two arguments about this dynamic in general. And I was reading this week, someone's like, hey, listen, the first one is become all things to all people that you may win some. So no matter where people are at, you do whatever it takes to go there. In general, this metaphor plays out of missionaries have learned how to communicate and translate into other languages. This is similar contextualization for a people group. So you go there and you are with the people and you see them come to know Jesus. The flip side of that, the other side of the coin is this, which is I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but, but be transformed. In other words, come out for them, come out for them. And the metaphor speaking to the other side of this is the church tried to contextualize with a, with, within a leveraged consumerism for three decades, and it, it was a disaster. Have we not learned to be a, con, a contrasting community, a set-apart people? So there's a one mindset of like, no, no, be set-apart and say, hey, that's not satisfying, come over here. Another group is saying, no, no, go in there and bring salt and light into those communities. And somewhere in between here is probably the way. But I got to think. If, if John comes to me and he says, Robbie, and we have a call most every single week, multiple times a week we chat. He says, Robbie, I feel called to the metaverse. I said, he's like, you know, I, I'm, I want to hand off the reins to Greenhouse here in South Florida, and I want to go into the metaverse. So there's something about that where I would say, okay, what what'd that calling sound like? We'd process through that. So let's just say he was going, right, into the metaverse. I would probably analyze all of the dangers of the metaverse. And as he trailed into the metaverse, I probably wouldn't say not go. I'd probably say there's a corruption there. There's a danger there. There's a losing of yourself in some capacity. Let's be aware of that and protect against that. One of the leaders of the missionary movement 300 years ago, his name is William Carey, he felt called by God to leave England and go to India to preach the gospel. There's multiple missionaries in, the, in this church at that time, and he says, I'll go. He says, but I'll go only if you guys go with me in heart. And so what he said was, and he's kind of famous for this, I'll go if you hold the rope. 
And the imagery he had, and this is during the mining days, is I'll go down in the mine, but I know I'm going into corruption and a depraved generation. I know where I'm going. I'll go if you three, and he was talking to a society of brethren, hold the rope, that if I'm in a dangerous place, you pull me out. In general, that's the missionary movement of Christianity, which is like go into all the world and preach the gospel, but give someone the rope that they can snatch you out if the corruption takes over your heart. So when you're thinking about the gospel and Peter pleading, there's a world of, yes, I'm not saying like, let's bunker up and like hide. Go, let's go be salt and light. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter five. But as you're going to be salt and light, ask what Peter is asking the early church Save yourself from the, this corrupt generation. Save us, Lord. Protect us. Help us. All right, so as we're going into the world, it creates and it requires this great community just as William Carey had. And what you see in Acts chapter 2 here is this powerful display of community. And I've got four things I want to highlight in this passage right here. And the first one is this. They had, this community, had relentless devotion, not casual indifference. I love this word right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves. They had, some versions say, steadfast devotion. They had this like, I like the word conviction, that like, I'm doing this. I just finished Tony Dungy's book, um, Quiet Strength. Anybody read that book? So good. So good. He had a conviction that his boys, he, had, he was going to change culture for coaching. He was a coach in the NFL. He coached the Buccaneers. Then he won a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. He had a conviction that his boys would be a part of his program. He had a conviction. So as young men, they were always playing around the clubhouse. They were in the weight room. They were on the football field. They were everywhere he went, whether it's home games, practice away. They had school. They were a part of the program. And there's one, there's more, many great things in the book in general. But one moment he says, I was on the field and my team was taking the field. And I was standing on the sidelines and one of my sons was with me. And the security guard says, hey, um, you're, that boy can't go on the field. He's like, yeah, that's my son. He's going with me. And he goes, I was a visiting coach. And the security guard said, um, no. Um, that boy cannot go on that field. No kids allowed. And Tony Jones said, uh, no, I, I'm the coach of the visiting team. He's coming with me. He's like, I'm sorry, sir. Um, you cannot have your son. He's like, listen, go tell the other coach and the other GM and the other owner, we're not playing today if, that boy, if my son doesn't come on the field with me. <laughs> and there, he's like, huh? He's like, needless to say, the boy was on the sidelines with me <laughs> during the game. But when I listened to that, I was like, Oh, he had conviction. He had devotion. Because convictions are these things that are like deep in you that you just don't, they're like you don't budge on. And when you see, if you're saying the book of Acts is prescribing how to see a move of God, the prescription you see is teaching, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, community, breaking bread, and prayer. In other words, they had this, structure this system. And there's a lot of things happening. I feel like in general, they said these, these are the four. All, they devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to the Bible. They devoted themselves to memorizing scripture. They devoted themselves. I'm telling you guys, I'm a, um, 
I'm kind of like, I'm a Bible guy. I really am. Like, I, I love the Bible. I love the Bible before I was preaching it. I love the Bible um, before, um, when I don't preach it. And um, even scripture memory. I started memorizing scripture 20 years ago. Like, as interns in 2001 and 2002, I still, to this day, memorize scripture. I am devoted to scripture, the apostles' teaching. I would say... Christians that I see flourish the most in life. I'm just telling you, if we want life and life more abundantly, and that's what we want for you, is the part of our vision here is that you would have a life that's full of joy and peace and you would experience the fruit of the Spirit. I, I personally experienced and I've watched other people do these four principles and they experience in life and life to the fullness. The first one is this, apostles' doctrine, the community of fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. These four principles are huge. Now, apostles' teaching, I think we have the Bible. The apostles' teaching is here. This is the apostles' teaching. Like, um, John's, you know, we don't call John Apostle John. You know, this is not Apostle Robbie. Um, I think people have apostolic gifts. None of us are apostles. These guys um, were the apostles, and they gave us doctrine to study and teach. I would totally encourage you to read the Bible through every single year, or at least attempt to, and not get down on yourself if you get behind. Can anybody relate to that? There's this beautiful thing on a Bible app that says, click on the missed days and you can just catch it up real fast. No condemnation, amen. Give yourself to the apostles' teaching. Give yourself to the community. Here's what's fascinating about sharing community with one another. The fellowship. I've found in different seasons of life, being in fellowship and community takes a different level of intentionality and focus. And I, I, when you're single college student, it's like, let's go, six nights a week, right? Then you're like newly married, and then you have young kids, and you don't even know what, like, what day of the week it is ever. And then, and then you have like, you got teenagers, so all you're doing is chasing them around every night, right? And then you're like empty nesters. So then it's trying to find a community that actually is like a real community. So different seasons, can anybody relate to this? Like different seasons of life. And let's just say on a professional level, you're like, you're starting a business. And then it's like, holy cow, right? Or you're starting a new job or you've just transitioned life. You've moved somewhere. And there's all these different dynamics. They're going to challenge your convictions about these areas. And all of us, can relate. So what I did is I'm like, man, my nights, every single one of my nights are my following my son around playing football and basketball. And I absolutely love it. It's my mission field. I get so engaged in community. I'm always talking, hanging out with people every single night. I love it. So I was like, did your kids play Christian like clubs? I said, no, I work with Christians. I preach to Christians. I'm around Christians all the time. I'm tired of Christians. So I don't, <laughs> my kids have always played in the community and I meet the community and have a blast with the community. Right? So, uh, um, but every single night we're doing stuff. So you know what I did? I was like, I got to be in community with people, fellowshipping with people. I have to. It's, it, I'm devoted to it. So I got up on a couple of Sunday mornings ago and I was like, hey, all of you men that say you can't have community, you're lying. Suck it up. See me at 6 a.m. Thursday morning. Let's get in community and let's grow together. Fellowship, Bible. And guess what? Like men showed up. And for me, it was like, I don't, someone's like, 6 a.m., no. <laughs> Five comes twice a day. I know. For me, it, on Thursday mornings, that's it. Um, but I, 
I, I'm devoted to community. I'm devoted to the fellowship. I know it makes me flourish and other people flourish. So I find the space in this season to be in community. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Can I say this? We eat all throughout the day usually, but typically two to three meals and many times with people. Every single time, it's an op- it's in sacrament, an opportunity to not like take communion, but to remember the Lord. It's beautiful. It's this pause and reflection and sit and wait and give thanks. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. They had relentless devotion to those four. Number two is this. They had heartfelt affection, not bored formality. They, I mean, this is what I love. Verse 43, it says, all came over everyone. There was emotion. It was like real. It was like IGLF just being like, no, John, hold on. Just wait. That was that all. I mean, even how we do microchurches, these microchurch leaders are like all of us. We're like, we're just going to step into a leadership role. Oh, God. But we, we want the, there's a formality, there's a structure. But what humans long for is the feeling, the emotion, the awe, the reverence. We long to be felt and be heard and to be engaged. This past Thursday morning in my microchurch, we have um, six new guys I'm doing life with. Six brand new guys, right? And every time we start this, it's always awkward and it's weird and people know what to share. And we were talking about um, a guy that was facing his line and we're saying, hey, what lines are you facing? And a guy just started a job and he's, he sits there in the moment. Now, listen, the guy to my left, business um, guy, um, the guy right here, PhD student, this businessman's like maybe 60. This guy just started a job at University of Florida. He's like 24. Um, the, all different spheres and relationships in life, multi-generational across the board, right? And one guy's like, I got a line I'm facing. He's like, I want to be a light. I want people to know Jesus in my workplace. That's what he said. He's like, and I'm sitting there and an opportunity came up and I felt a prompting. She, a coworker was sharing about their loved one that was sick. And I was like, oh, I just said, hey, can, I'll, I'll, can I pray for them? But I, I just didn't have the courage to do it. I was so, I'm so afraid of rejection. Can I relate to that? Like, here's the deal. We're, we're not afraid of selling a bunch of stuff. Culturally right now, it's really hard to sell Jesus. It's really hard to be a salty Christian right now, everywhere we're at. It's okay to, like, communicate and do that. And he's like, and I just felt that and I, I didn't do it. Then their family member passed like three days later. And he just, he's telling us, and he just started sobbing. It's our first time together. This guy's like, hey, I've been a physician assistant. This guy was one of the guys about 60, a physician assistant. He's like, he's like, oh, I feel that. He's like, I sit at people's beds before they're going into open heart surgery. And I have to navigate, like, I want to pray for them, and I want to communicate, because they feel the frailty of life in those moments, and I have to lean into that. And a lot of times they're open, sometimes they're not, and I have, I have a job, and I have the, you know, I'm under a boss, I'm all this stuff. In that moment, there was a bond that happened like that with those six guys. We all feel that leaning, that, that moment, that, 
that all that heartfelt affection. What I loved about these microchurch leaders across the, across the room, by the way, you guys did great. <laughs> like, seriously, it takes a lot of courage to get up here and like share. Like, ah, you know, you got one shot. You're like, oh, all the self-consciousness. You guys did great. And in that moment, it's like you can, you can see there's, there's a heartfelt. I'm doing this because I love God and I love you. In the community of Jesus, you see this in the book of Acts. They, they had all. They had emotion. It was a part of the awakening that people feel. There was, there was relentless devotion. There was heartfelt affection. What I love about this passage, too, is there was sacrificial generosity, not selfish ambition. I'm still fascinated by the passages where it says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to one another as they had need. They gave to one another freely. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've, on the pure um, society construct side, I was like, oh, man, is this like communism? Is this socialism? Is this Marxism? Like, what ism is this, right? Where it's like, they're, I mean, do, does that mean we have to you know, disperse everyone's goods equally? Is that what it means in the microchurch? Everybody bring their pay stub and kind of share it and we do our thing. I was like, and I was like, and I just started reading and listening to it. No, 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 it wasn't, there was no government describing it. I'm not making a political statement here. I'm just talking about the church right now. There was no, um, um, mandate from the community to do anything. That's why in Acts chapter 6, you see someone freely selling something and giving it, and someone else freely not lying about it and then dying, right? It was all about a heartfelt desire to build up the community around you. And I've been a part of some radical generosity. I've been the recipient of it. Like when, when my we total cars and been in really financial places where the community around me was like, hey, Robbie, I've actually got some extra money. Here's some extra money. I was like, oh, this is thank you. Right. In those moments of real. And when you see the real community touched by God, you see a real sacrificial generosity. A whole nother kingdom. And then finally, you see this. Contagious joy. Not secluded clicks. You know, um, this passage started within the Lord added to their number daily, and it ended with the Lord added to their number daily. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. Joy is the mark of the kingdom. Joy is the mark of a healthy community. Joy is what people are intrigued into when they see people are like, man, why, why are, life is hard. We're in the middle of like 17 pandemics right now. Like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you have joy right now? When you're in a healthy community, when you are devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the pr prayer, when there is heartfelt affection, when there is sacrificial generosity, you are participating in the kingdom of God and as you do that, there is joy and there is a fullness of joy. And as you experience that, it's an invitation and it's contagious to the expansion of the kingdom. People are looking and I am looking for places of joy. And that's the promise of real community. A great awakening creates and requires a great community. We're going to close here and worship team. You guys can come on up here. Um, I mentioned Cain and Abel here at the beginning because a brother came into my office this week and he says, 
you know, there's a few people in the community that are just special like this. And he always asks me. Sometimes I don't want to, I pretend like I don't see him because I know he's going to ask me. He always says, you got a word for me today, Robbie? And sometimes I don't. So I just kind of like don't. <laughs> but he came by the other day and he popped in the office. He says, I got something for you. And it was good. And he was talking about Cain and Abel. Not just about the relationship struggles. But about Abel's blood. And he says, the Lord says, where's Abel? Ask Cain this. This is in Genesis chapter 4. He says, Cain, where's Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And he says, his blood calls for me from the ground. Very fascinating. God said to Cain, your brother's blood is calling from the ground. And it's basically a calling of vengeance and cursing. Cursing is coming from the ground. So I sat there, and I'm like, whoa. And he says, and you know what makes the blood of Jesus so great? It was a spilled blood that's calling from the ground mercy and forgiveness and grace to all of humanity. And so the beauty of the gospel is this. It's like, man, yes, I'd say all of us have been a part of killing our brothers and sisters with gossip, with coveting, with anger, with rage, with slander. We've been a part of that. And there is a blood of judgment that is crying out against your sin. But the beauty of the gospel is without the shedding of blood, there was no payment for your and I's sins. There was none. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, died on a cross, his blood was shed, hit the ground, and that, that blood is crying forth mercy, and it triumphs, jumping, it's, it's crying out grace, it's, it's crying out this favor of God over your life. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. And when we gather in communities and we take communion, we remember that blood. We remember that we have been graced and we turn around and give that grace to other people. There is nothing like the blood of Jesus. So it, maybe you're in here this morning and you've been a believer for a long time and you haven't got that grace, that understanding, man. I want you to get it this morning. Maybe today is the day you've been toying around, you've been attending, you've been apart, you're online, but you haven't hit community yet and you wanna go all in with communion. You wanna catch some micro churches out there. But we want to, I want to pray for you. And then we're going to have some altar team come up here. We're going to close in a worship song. Altar team, yeah, you guys can come on up. And once you stand with me around the room, we're going to sing this closing song. But as I pray during prayer this morning, there was one thing they prompted me to pray for you guys about. And it was specifically, if you've been struggling with addiction, the good thing about the blood of Jesus is it cleanses our sins and it frees us. It's a liberating grace for your life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to break. And if you're open and you have an addiction and I don't know what it could be. Some lady, came, you know, Miss Debbie, that's amazing, works with our kids at Greenhouse for the last 10 years. She came up to me a week ago. She's like, Pastor Robbie, you prayed for me. Do you remember you prayed for me, my addiction? And I was like, I do. You know what her addiction was? TV. She's like, I've just, I've wanted to stop being addicted to TV for all these years. I, I, and I, there's addictions that you and I don't want that are from TV to pornography to drugs to alcohol to all in between, right? And there's these bondages. And she's like, I'm free. And she just walked off. She's like, thank you for praying and left. 
I'm going to pray right now. If you've got something in your life that there's like a, a bondage of any kind, as we're closing right now, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And I'm going to believe for true liberty in your life this morning. Um, Karina and the prayer team were praying this morning. That was a specific thought that came to mind about addiction. So if you would close your eyes all over the room. And if you've got something you just want to be released from, just open your hands like this to God. God, thank you that there's so much power in your name. There's so much power in your blood. There's not power in my words. There's not power in my prayer. There's not power in my wise statements right now. There's power in your blood. There's power in your name. And you see your children that you love online in this room right now that need liberty. And you promise liberty to the captives. So right now in Jesus' name, I proclaim that liberty. I proclaim that liberty. Break strongholds of addiction right now all across this room in Jesus' name. Where people have been bound, maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years. Freedom right now in Jesus' name, Lord. I, I know what it is when you just put your finger on our, my heart and you change my life. Would you do that right now, Holy Spirit? Thank you, Lord. Where there's been striving, where there's been frustration, where there's been fear, where there's mindsets that are out of alignment, align them right now in the Spirit, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. If you want some prayer, some of the altar teams up here, and uh, Pastor John, will close this out in just a second. Jesus, we mean it. You loved us first. You have loved us the most by far. You loved us when we did not deserve it. And, and our response is that we love you back. Lord, thank you that 
that you choose to not just keep your love internally hidden, but you manifest that love externally, Lord. We rejoice at miracles and signs and wonders and restoration and forgiveness and redemption and freedom and breakings of addictions. Lord, it all, it's all found in your love. Help us to walk in that reality, to live in that reality, to experience and internalize it deeply so that we can in turn give that same gift to others. The same grace, the same comfort we receive from you that we could pour it back out on other people. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen.